So, when you were growing up, what monster did you find the scariest of them all? The what gave scariest. you the most nightmares? Okay, legitimately, Gremlins from the movie Gremlins. Interesting. We had a, a picture book. I, I, I was like seven. We didn't have the movie, but... Um, we had like a like a little um, gizmo, the Mogwai toy. Yeah. And so someone thought it'd be great to give us a picture book, and it had all these still images of these creepy little goblins with, with, with freaking razor sharp teeth. And I'm like, this is more horrifying than anything I've ever seen at this point. <laughs> Gremlins from Gremlins scared the shit out of me, and the close second was the opening credits of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Okay. Yeah, that was the opening credits were a little unsettling, but for me, it was the monsters from Scooby Doo Monster Island Two. Yeah. They were the first creatures that showed up in my night terrors, and they have stuck with fear to me to this day. We are from different <laughs> generations, so I'm just laughing at you. Oh, I laugh at myself. But they showed up in a night terror when I was young, and that fear yeah. has held deep in my soul. What about you, Kyle? Mm. What was the thing? Okay, now that you brought up Are You Afraid of the Dark, I can't remember if it was that or uh, Goosebumps, yeah. but there was the comic book thing that came that's, alive yeah that's that's uh that's goosebumps yeah that thing was yeah that scared the shit out of me also chucky so you're not a fan of dolls huh yeah no i'm not i actually Fair. changed my whole sleeping pattern as a kid because of chucky like i would push my mattress out from the wall and i would sleep between the mattress and the wall to try and hide if it would come in <laughs> all right noted <laughs> this is going to come up yeah <laughs> oh god you're fucked <laughs> And an uh, overactive imagination, you could say. <laughs> it's a mimic, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on playable races. I'm Adam, and with me today are James and Kyle, and this episode is called Dompier, Hexblood, and Reborn, the Lords of Edge. Because there's only one reason why you choose these, and it is because either your DM is fucking with you, or you are an edgelord. I, I feel comfortable saying that. Yeah. We'll get angry comments, but I'm okay yeah, with that. for the most part. As a resident edgelord on the podcast, James, <laughs> I'm not surprised you're willing to argue that. I'm, but I gave it to you. <laughs> anyway, in our conversation about playable races in D&D 5th edition, we already covered the three kinds of dwarves, three kinds of halflings, and three kinds of gnomes. We dedicated two episodes to six kinds of elves, assuming you don't split hairs of the Eladrin. We've done kobold, lizard folk, UNT purebloods, half elves, half orcs, the 95,000 kinds of humans in the Forgotten Realms. We took a look at Dragonborn, both before and after Fizzborn's Treasury of Dragons came out. And we've devoted full episodes to Tieflings, Aarakocra, uh, Asimar, and Janasi. You can find all of these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist called Off to the Races that we've built there. I didn't just want to make a YouTube playlist called Races. I'm like, that's... <laughs> Asking for trouble. Yes, all right. Um, hey, but a lot of people may see it. Yeah. <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast is going to dig up something a little more sin sinister than we're used to in this conversation. Uh, and this panel of Dungeon Masters tries to determine if the lineages in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft are all they're cracked up to be. So it's vampires, hags, and reincarnation this week, with a focus on role-playing and flavor because the mechanics look like they're a little underwhelming at first glance. So, is there more to these three than simply a trip to Hot Topic and a scowl? 
For those of you who are confused, let me clarify. These aren't exactly playable races like we're used to. They can function as such, but they're a little bit different. The idea here is that something tragic has happened in your backstory, and now your body and soul are permanently burdened by the transformation that resulted from this tragedy. It says right in the book that you can either start off with a special set of traits that would be applied instead of racial traits, or you can adopt these traits partway through your campaign and rewrite a part of your character sheet. I have a lot of thoughts, but before we get started, uh, Kyle and James, Van Richtens recommends that a dungeon master and a player work together before making a decision like this. Would you be pissed off if your DM suddenly dropped a major character shift like this on you without discussing it with you first? Let's, let's roll initiative. 12. 8. Oh, I got a 20. But I asked you guys first. So 12. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on the game, I guess. Yeah. If I'm playing a very invested role-play heavy game, I honestly would be okay with it. Yeah. Because of the way the game's played, of the story advancing around, your role-play actions, that's something that could happen in the world. I would have no issue with it. But if I'm playing a game that's mainly just power gaming and going around killing things and being badass, I'd be pissed. Yeah, I don't want this in the middle of my, yeah. my one-shot. No, right? I built yeah. a one-shot, I've overpowered this character to a design, and now you've thrown an absolute spanner in it. Yeah. That's a little rude, especially if you only do it to one player. If you hit all the players with it, okay, I guess, but barely. Kyle? I think if you have a way out built into it, then great. Right? Like, because it can take on part of the story. You can also uh, forego the lineage's uh, traits and skills. I'm right? assuming that part's them. decided for you as well. Yeah. I'm assuming this is the DM saying, this is your new character sheet. That's how I was handling it's decided for you. Yeah, I'd be kind of pissed about that. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it also... I don't know. I, I think it, it's situational. That's a, like in a role-playing game. Yes. Yeah. I have a way to fix it somehow in the game. Yeah. And now I have to play differently. It's a creative twist where, you know, it kind of makes you think on your feet, which mm -hmm. is always a bonus, right? It shows that your DM is heavily involved. But I do think you're going to have to know your players very well to be able to do it. So in my last campaign, as we geared up to the end, the last four or five sessions or so, Got super fucking deadly, and I did it on purpose. So I was DMing, and I had uh, Dan and Megan uh, in that campaign with me, and um, I had four players, and Dan's character, and the plan was, they're all going to die in the last session or so, and uh, they're going to come back as the villains being raised from the dead for the next campaign. And they all kind of knew this. They knew there was going to be a big twist end, and they were aware of this coming. About four episodes from the end, uh, Dan got separated from the party and there were vampires and he went hunting like the head vampire and killed him but the others got him and dragged him down and he got his revenge and then got turned. So I gave him a bunch of vampire stats. This came out about a... Or we did that about a year before Van Richten's came out. And the look on his face was like he was horrified that this, this character died. But then when he came back and I gave him like, hey, here's a little cue card with the additional shit you get on top of your regular stuff, he was stoked because it was a power boost. I'm cool with the power boost side of it, but taking away some of the other shit is is a big deal, right? Like, mm -hmm. taking away your elf's uh, fey ancestry, yeah. that's a big fucking deal, right? So, you're right. You got to know your players before yeah. you, you just drop this on them. I really do think 
talk it out ahead of time. If I'm going to be playing a Grimdark, a Ravenloft, a, a Curse of Straw level campaign, I'm having this conversation with my players ahead of time in session zero. I want to know what are you not okay with as far as, you know, what are your limits and boundaries and all that shit. And also, what kerfuckery are you okay with, right? Do you mind if I do this to someone at the table? Mm-hmm. That way, that threat is always there in the back of their minds. It makes it more real. And I'm going to get them to sign off on it. If one person says, no, I don't want that, then that's fine. I'll leave them to it. That's that, that's cool. Yeah. I have some some players still that have my precious character moments. And then I've got other players that are like Dave, who I think forgets what race he's playing half the time. Oh, 100%. <laughs> he, he's so used to being a DM that when he's at the table, he forgets to be a player. He sits back and watches and listens. And they're like, all right, Dave, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, shit. Which mini is mine? Fuck. God damn. Every time I play with Dave, too, though, he's like, he plays some kind of martial class yeah. and he schwacks it. That's it. Yeah. So even if he was paying attention, it doesn't really matter. I am doing everything in my power right now to get Dave to role play. And he's getting the, we're doing baby steps. Holy shit, baby <laughs> steps. Um, but on the flip side of things, I'm going to just quick story time before we jump into this. I'm playing Curse of Straw Death House right now with Mieka. Um, we're doing one-on-one uh, online, and she knows nothing about this. She's never played an official D&D game before, um, and Death House is there to ramp up the horror early and set the tone. And of course, I worked in a haunted house for years. I love the horror genre, so I have just upped that to like I turned it up to eleven. For her, it normally sits at about a five, and the rest of Curse of Strahd sits at about a three, with mm. little spikes of horror here and there. It's it's creepy stone dark passages and cobwebs, but it's not you know undead children bleeding from the eyes screaming about your your mother wants you back in the kitchen and chasing you down the fucking hallway at two in the morning. Like, however, that is the case in Death House for me. That is what I've done now, and Mieka is having some real fucking issues. <laughs> All right, <laughs> yeah, we we have played. <laughs> Two sessions. Each one has lasted less than two and a half hours because she is bailed out due to stress. Fair. <laughs> and and she has tried on four separate occasions to run out of the house. There's no way out of the house. It is like sealed. Once Playing you're with you, you, though, that's fair. Like <laughs> yeah. We did um, the Call of Cthulhu for the podcast. Yeah. And you actively, like, playing with you anyway, you actively pick on players. <laughs> yeah. And then when you're by yourself with them, you're like, okay, I'm going to spend the next four hours just picking on you. Yeah. yeah. It was funny. She actively said on multiple occasions, this is why I need Dan here. I need a, a human shield. Yeah. I, I cannot deal with it. She walked in. At one point, she passed a mirror, and her reflection was an elven woman with a noose around her neck just watching her inst- instead of her own reflection. And she just noped the fuck off that entire floor of the house. Fair. Said, nope, yeah. I'm out. And, like, that is fair. But, man, it is the funniest shit in the world to sit down yeah. and watch. And, and we have to have an hour of de-stressing and, mm. and talking it out afterwards about, okay, that's not real. I made that up. It's fine. I love terrifying players. And that's uh, that. this is working really well. I'm so excited for our Friday Call of Cthulhu group, yeah. which is going to ramp that shit up as well you sure picked a doozy of a game to be her first uh well we have played <laughs> we played D D with all the homebrew high adventure stuff and in the previous games we played she was a princess with magic powers and that's all she wanted she made friends she woke up and decided what she was having for breakfast she got to buy uh an estate house 
uh, in the rich part of the kingdom. And she sat down and went on little adventures and got into the political uh, who's who of, of the upper society. And she loved that shit. I said, you want to play Curse of Strahd? She said, ooh, a regal vampire that's kind of hot? Sure, I'll play that. <laughs> <laughs> so, As I said, he bullies people. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, but she's right. This is why you need Dan in a campaign with me. Because I bully. Then he's my target. All right, so let's uh, let's jump into this right now. Lineages. I think that we are going to see in the next edition the phrase race get thrown out, and we're going to see the word lineage come in instead. We're starting to see that a little bit in um, what Wizards of the Coast is uh, releasing in like their PR mm-hmm. uh, announcements and some of the published stuff they're putting out there. It's about the lineages. It's about the uh, cultures. They're not using the word background because background's already set aside but it is very much a shift from what we were what we're used to traditionally in D&D where it's being races which always annoyed me it should be species in the first yep. place but it's going to be lineage which now. I'm fine with it's yeah, a I'm, good I'm replacement cool word sure. it's a grand name yeah. I'll be honest and it's you know sad. what species even takes the charge out of that too because then you can't have the people who complain about this kind of stuff say yeah. oh they change it because of everyone's so social justice but like no it makes more sense Yeah, like it just straight makes more sense we don't have a common ancestor so they're not part of our race yeah and and honestly like yeah I'm, I'm okay with this it's going to be confusing in about a year and a half when they release the next edition, and it's all lineages. And, and right now, these are the only lineages that you get in 5th edition. The way that these specific lineages work is that you can either have them at the very beginning of the campaign, or they can replace your uh, racial stats partway through. So, it says right in the book, um, and of course, we're dealing with Ravenloft. Before we say anything else, I guess before we go forward, for those of you that are not familiar with the idea of Ravenloft, Ravenloft exists as a corner of the Shadowfell, um, but it's its own thing. It's not um, its own plane. It's not its own campaign setting, although the book reads as if it is. And it's not its own um, like single region where you can walk around a map. It has all of these little... Um, pockets? These pockets in the mist. Each one of them are their own separate place where they can't get from one to another without going through the mists and you don't want to go through the mists they'll fuck you up very quickly it's designed so that you cannot do it um, you can walk into the mists you're going to get lost you're going to die and that's it that's just in the lore you cannot roll your way out of it you might get lucky enough to get back to where you started but you'll never get to the next place so it's this little area I think of it like uh, like Europe where there's the UK this corner of Europe, and it's got all these little pockets of places in there. That's kind of what Ravenloft is to the rest of the Shadowfell. The Shadowfell is out there, and remember, all planes are infinite and huge when it comes to D&D. But um, there is this little area, and it's all these little dungeons. Each one of these is a specific area where the dark powers that run the Shadowfell have decided to punish one single entity. That entity is called the Dark Lord. So we have dark powers which are nondescript, almost godlike beings, and then we have dark lords, which are the prisoners. The prisoner gets into this area, which is designed for them. They are immortal in here, and they don't know they're a prisoner, but it's designed to torture them in the themes of their own traumas and uh, their own influence on other people. So, their own personalized hells. Yes. 
However, there are other people in these areas with them. It's not their personalized hell, it's just Strahd, for example, is a Dark Lord, and so when he got sucked into the Shadowfell, and I think he was the first one in Ravenloft, Barovia was the first pocket. When he got sucked in, everyone else in, in the region of Barovia got sucked in with him. All of these innocent bystanders are in there, and they have to deal with Strahd and his shit all of the time. His influence over the region and his own torture is reflected down upon their own tortures. And that is consistent through all the different realms in Ravenloft. If you're a serial killer in Victorian London, if you are uh, Egyptian-themed and there's mummies and, and humanoids with crocodile heads and, and, and ibis head and whatnot, you're going to have your own special place to go. There's a Frankenstein level of uh, or area realm of uh, Ravenloft. Um, there's a carnival realm. So there's all these different... They're all horror-themed because they're all supposed to be trauma. Um, one of them, which is particularly insidious, is the idea that everything in here is fake and it's a show and it's a play and the world itself is not real and everyone knows it except you and the Dark Lord inside and, like, everyone else is trapped in, like, a, a pantomime. Um, like, there's a lot of really cool shit in there. That's where the following three lineages kind of fit in. You, you're supposed to be able to put them in one of these places. So... You can also take them and just put them in Eberron, or you can put them in uh, in Theros, or any one of the regular Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk locations. When you do, it's uh, you've got to have a pretty good reason for it, but it's not like it's impossible to do that by any means. And I would honestly say that anywhere in the Shadowfell would probably spawn two of the three of them, just based on lore, and anywhere in the Feywild would spawn the third one. So let's, uh, let's jump into what it means to create the character really quickly. First, we see the example of the ability score increase uh, is no longer standardized. You know, two decks, one con, or whatever it is, or one decks, one con, and then depending on the sub race, you get it. All yeah. that's out the fucking window. So the idea here is that you get three points to put in two ability scores. You can put two in one and one in another, or one in three. You can't stack all three into a single one. Um, but you kind of get to mix and match. And it says in the book, there's a suggestion in each one of the classes when you're building about which ability scores you should be improving. Like it's going to give you a hint. And it doesn't because that was written first, right? The idea that hint in there is what are your saving throws? Yeah. And that's essentially what you should be leaning into. However, I don't know. I would have a... For some of the spellcasters and stuff, the saving throws don't always necessarily line up with what you want to beef them with, right? Yeah. So, having a like, what would you put it? What would you do for a cleric? Right, it's going to tell you you want what wisdom and and con. Yeah. I could want man. I want charisma for my cleric in a big way. Half of those spells that he's going to be up against is going to rely on charisma checks, right? So that's something I'm going to look at. So it's not necessarily intuitive. It's a good idea if you're new to D&D, &D, talk to your DM about this ahead of time and think about the kind of character you want to play more than what class you're playing in. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to optimize it, right? It's No. Maybe you want to go for something completely different for uh, role-playing, right? Like, what is your background? Maybe you want to attach it somewhere closer to that than have it specifically based on what class or anything else. Yep. 
or especially if you're getting this later in the game, you can figure out what stats you've been lacking up until this time mm -hmm. and put them into that. Too. Yeah. Like if you're a glass casting caster, then yep. you may want to throw a few points into constitution, though it's not your main score. It may help you survive a hit or two. Yeah. Yep. Or if you focus on concentration spells and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Actually, what you just said about replacing it partway through, this is the only thing that doesn't change. When you replace it, mm. you never change your, your mechanical stats and the ability score. It's only at the very beginning. Oh, okay. That okay. You do that. So if you are... Don't try to come up with one off the top of my head that I automatically know. As a Dragonborn is strength and constitution... Could, I couldn't tell me. I couldn't. Charisma. I, I know else plus two. I'm a, I'm a forever DM. <laughs> I don't know this shit. But anyway, whatever it is in the player's handbook, that's what you get if you replace it partway through. However, if you're building this from the ground up at level one, you can kind of mess oh, with okay. it. So. Also, your character can speak, read, and write common and one other language. If you're replacing your race with the lineage, you get whatever languages you had before. And you don't gain anything new. Seems fair. Makes sense. Man, I am sick and tired of languages being an afterthought in 5th edition. It's uh, I would love to get rid of common and just have everybody have to... I wouldn't do get rid of common. I'd make common less purposeful. Common can only be used for like mechanical interactions. So I'm going to a pub to buy food. They know beer. They know the price. That's what they can give me in common. I'm going to an inn. They can tell me the price and the type of room. But nothing more than basic monetary interaction. Or maybe you limit common to only being available to the races in the player's handbook. So that your lizard folk don't automatically know it. Or make common just less common. Yeah. Make it make it uncommon. Yeah. Like you have to yeah. be in a certain from a certain city size for common to well, be. That's one of the things that I really like about Eberron is it depends on which country you're from, that's what languages you mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very regional instead of just racially, if there, if there are two kinds of dwarves, there's the Durgar in, in uh, the Underdark, and then there are hill dwarves, and they've never interacted before. They both know dwarf. Like, uh, why? Why do they both speak dwarven? That I can see it somewhere being like countries near Germany. They speak similar to German. You can understand yeah. each other and have a conversation. Right, but if they're on different continents or different realms, why are they all speaking the same? Well, it's like That's English. From a well, they're all magical, quote-unquote, races from a progenitor god. That's, so that's, that's why, why. But it still annoys me. <sighs> well, I mean, it's like English, right? You, English here is different from English in Scotland. Yeah. Or English in or Scotland terrible. to English. Or Irish to English. Or, yeah. Yeah, like, it, we're using quotation marks on, on, on the Scottish-speaking English. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe you can have common, but it gets harder to understand the further you go you away from where you with are. dialects and whatnot. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a big difference. I want to sit down a, a New Zealander and a Newfie. <laughs> you don't speak the same language. Right, like, yeah. like, someone from, like, a deep Jersey accent to, like, Wales. Yeah. Yeah. Right, like... It's it's the same language, asterisks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you do get uh, to choose just one extra. I never think that's enough. I always liked in previous editions where the number of languages you knew was based on your intelligence modifier. Yeah, that just made me feel better about it. I return to the same idea of city size should be based on that. Like if you're in a city of only dwarfs, you should only know dwarvish, and maybe the chief and head merchant should know common to talk to outsiders. Yeah. 
And if you're in a city of a hundred million, for example, well, you know basic conversational abilities of multiple languages to at least have a discussion with the local delicatessen or the local flower shop. Yeah. Like, you have that ability in larger cities. You notice that, especially in America, a lot of them know Spanish, whether they learnt Spanish. Yeah, you just pick it up. There's things they know how to say and have discussions to just get through daily life. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it should be based on city size. Uh, that's a good point. Or, or uh, trade routes anyway yeah. as well. The last thing that you automatically get is a creature type, clearly. Now, at this point, we have humanoids and fey, and we just stay with humanoids and fey. In the Unearthed Arcana for these, there were a secondary creature type for everybody. So there was, they were humanoid and undead for the Dompier, and it was humanoid and fey for the Hexblood, and it was humanoid and either construct or undead for the Reborn. And they got rid of that idea of the additional one just... For, I think, simplicity's sake. Yeah. I'm cool with that. That doesn't bother me. I've been bitching since the beginning of this uh, edition that I wanted multiple creature types on things, like fairy dragons. Mm-hmm. Should be fey and dragon, but... You would think. Yeah. But anyway, we I'm, I've given up that fight already. Wait, so wait for 6th edition and it'll probably be there. <laughs> if it's showing up in UA? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So, we're not getting anything new, we're not getting Construct, we're not getting Undead, which is a little disappointing, but it's going to help with the way that spells work. A lot of spells talk about, especially with the difference between um, Hold Person or Dominate Beast and Dominate Person, is they will say the word humanoid, right? And if it specifies a certain kind of creature, it's only, if you've got Fae in the party, they're just going to shrug that shit off. And that can be a little bit weird and crippling, and DMs need to keep an eye on that shit. Right? So, the idea that we got another fate, we have the centaur, the satyr, the fairy from Well Beyond the Witchlight, and now the Hexblood as well as Fae. Everything else, I think, is still a humanoid, including uh, Warforge. So, yeah. And then that brings us into the subclasses themselves. So, before we uh, get into it, guys, I want to roll initiative again. I have questions. And I roll mine. Oh, I got a five. Two. Oh, big winner this time? 20. Oh, you got a 20, but you knocked me to an 8. Oh, I was second anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right. So with your natural 20, Kyle, how do you feel about this new take on playable race? The idea of lineages. How do you feel about it in general? Do you like it? Yeah, I like it. I mean, they're not to my taste, to be honest, but I do like... What would you the... rather taste? Oh, just about anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're opening up a door for me to walk through here, Kyle. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't see myself ever playing them, but I do like the option. I think it gives a lot more background, a lot more story potential for a DM, and yeah, it's just a little more customization, and I think that's always good. Do you, should we see other things like this in the future? Do you think? Yeah, I could be. Yeah, I could be down for it. Yeah, um, I like these well enough. We always had the ability in 3.5, I don't think always, but it was introduced partly through, to be able to get these weird uh, racial modifiers and things as you go and you'd boost yourself. But that was all about customizability. I don't know if Pathfinder 2 has it yet. I would not, be, I would not yeah. be surprised Pathfinder's all about customizing characters. But like, I don't hate this as something as part of a tabletop role-playing game. Yeah, being able to change some of your basic stats partway through, yeah, doesn't bother me. Am I ever going to be excited about playing one of these guys? Nah. No. If I'm going to play, I want to be a dwarf because I, 
I want to be a player. <laughs> that, that's just me. Um, I, so I want to I want to see what it's like to actually play an elf the way that elves are supposed to be played, and not just fairy princesses in cabbage slippers, which is how most people play them. Fair. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but uh, James, do you like these? Yes, but barely. Like, for me, uh, the only way I would ever touch this would be through playing, like, a character, a DM is, like, my, some of my favorite characters I've ever played are ones I've told DMs, make me the character, make me the backstory, pick me a race, I will play it. Yeah. And having a character like that, I would play that way. But other than that, when it's my decision, I've built a character and I have a direction I want to take them in, this is not the direction I want to take them in. If I'm doing a vampire, I will go get a homebrew vampire race. I won't do a vampire. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Kyle, what's your new opinion on these new wishy-washy ASI where they're not willing to commit? Do you think they should have committed to this? Uh, no. Especially when you look at all the backgrounds for these new races since they come from three different planes, right? How one is created in one is not equal to how it's created in another one. So they shouldn't have a unified sort of set. Right, like uh, taking the Hexblood, there's Hazlan to Tempest, right? Like how you became that Hexblood is very different. One is a magical conflagration that changed your DNA essentially. And the other one is you're getting, you're cursed by a hag. So I don't think it should have one. Okay. Because the origins are so widespread, it's... Yeah, it wouldn't make sense to have a unified thing, right? Because they're not all descended from the same place. I mean, that's a good point. We are seeing this now as the default for everything, though. Every fairy has the ability to have different stats. Do you like that? Yeah, I do. I mean, because when I make a character, I have like an idea in my mind of what they want to be. And so sometimes the stats don't line up with the class that I want to play. So this gives me... I don't have to be a dwarf barbarian or fighter, right? I can... Yeah be a dwarf wizard now and I can use yeah. that for an intelligence boost. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna open us up to see more dwarven bards, which you don't see a whole fuck of a lot of. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't I don't hate that from that from that perspective. Um I don't know. I'm a traditionalist when it comes to this. I want there to be limitations. Otherwise we're all just playing pretend around and the table and the dice don't fucking matter. Right? I want there to be limitations to the game. I want you to have to build in certain ways. Every other game has you have to build in specific ways. You think even even video games, when you pick your base stats, I'm going to be a warrior, it comes with this, this, and I get this skill tree. I like that shit. I know what I'm in for. I chose it for a reason. And I think that for some people, especially new players, saying, you can be whatever you want, do whatever you want, that's just a big shrug. I, I yeah. wish, here's what I wish. I wish they would said, we recommend this, but you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I could go for that. I also read a, a thing online uh, talking about uh, tying the ASIs to uh, backgrounds and stuff. I love that idea. We've yeah. pitched that in this podcast in the past. So Yeah. Um, James? For me, I've always been, I've usually been the heart of what it says you should do this. It shouldn't be wishy-washy. But as you brought up video games, I've been recently playing Final Fantasy, and I'm used to MMOs and other video games. Yeah. You, If you were being a warrior... You're a warrior till you're done playing that character. If you're yep. a bard, you're being a bard till you're done playing that character. Final Fantasy does it differently, where you pick a character and you can play every single class that there is. So you just switch to that job. 
meaning you don't have base racial stats. So you can play whatever you want to look like in any role. And since doing that with Final Fantasy, I've kind of liked the ability to say, oh, I want to be this tiny little gnome, but be a super powerful barbarian because of it. Because I'm not limited by my ASI. Yeah, okay. All right. I mean, it gives you... I think it also gives people the ability to be special. Yeah. Uh, among the others of their kind. I think about... Um, what's his fucking name? Herbie, the elf from uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, who wants to be a dentist. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? And that's his big thing. He wants to be a dentist. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he should have different stat block than the rest of the elves. Yeah. Because he's unique compared to the others. I mean, that's a bizarre example of, but, like, that's... It's a good example everyone should know yeah. of at this point in history. I, I would hope so. He's... Yeah, he wants... He just wants to be independent. So, let's jump into it. We've got three lineages here. Let's roll initiative to see who's going to go first in what order. And, uh... Hopefully we'll like some of what we hear. Five. Not one. You're going first with a five. Kyle. Wow. That sucks. I rolled a three. All right. What do you got for us? Okay. So I'm going to be talking about the Hexblood. Adam and Dan's wet dream of a background. Goddamn right. <laughs> Hexbloods are the results of hag bargains. Sorry to interrupt. Is that a shared wet dream? Yes. I probably. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. One of us starts it and then the other one finishes. Yeah. yeah. By, by the time that we're done, just everything's sticky. So, hexbloods are the results of hag bargains, whether from parents wishing for a child that nature couldn't give them, or a creature who struck a deal with these malevolent beings, unaware of its true price. These poor souls are cursed to live halfway between their two natures, their skin turning turbid and unnatural colors, their ears becoming forked points, long hair that regrows with uncanny speed, and a garland-like crown that sprouts from their temples, marking its hag ancestry. The question is... What is its connection to its twisted mother? So for random tables, the Hexblood only has one, and this pertains to its origin. How did you become what you are? The lore pretty heavily leans into the hag aspect, but it isn't the only option. Maybe you were cursed to live as this twisted creature, or maybe some wild magic conflagration changed your nature. So you're not pigeonholed into the hag aspect if you're not feeling it, and it leaves some wiggle room. How you fit into society... No, I think it really depends on where the campaign is set. If you're in Haslan or Tepest, Hexbloods might be fairly commonplace, but elsewhere I imagine that they would look, be looked upon with suspicion. Hexblood is, after all, a hag product, even if not a full one, and people don't tend to hold hags in the highest esteem. Even, not, not even other hags. Yeah, not even other hags. So even if you go in a different direction in terms of origin, I think the general population wouldn't be able to separate the two, uh, which I think is highlighted in some of its traits. You always need to get a set of fake horns to put on and a fake tail, pretend you're tiefling. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. For lineage mechanics... Like, I mean, sorry, and that's not a good thing. If you're trying to be a tiefling to fit in, you're fucking up. Yeah. Right? Tieflings are on the outskirts <laughs> for a reason in the first place. Well, the lesser of two evils. You know? Would you rather be seen as a half-devil or half-hag? Personally? Yeah, sure. Oh, half-half-half-devil. I'm, yeah. I'm into that shit. I'm just going to keep my invisibility spell active the whole time. No <laughs> one will see me. I think it would be better to be looked upon with fear than scorn. That's fair. So the, I think the tiefling would be the way to go. 
In terms of lineage mechanics, uh, like the others, you can choose to keep your original skill proficiencies and movement speeds, or pick two skills and get a 30-foot walking speed with 60 feet of dark vision. You also get a couple of abilities, the first being Eerie Token, which is an awesome name, I think we can all agree, where as a bonus action, you can pull off one of your nails, take out one of your teeth, or cut off a lock of your own hair. Why you would choose Anything other than pulling out one of your own teeth is beyond me, but it... You... I think you're just going to sprinkle pubes. Yeah. That's what that's going to be. Ooh, creepy. Creepy and, and gross. gross. <laughs> yeah. And it... my familiar will be lice. I am cutting that oh. out in section zero. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now, this token, the thing you pulled out of your body, is imbued with your essence. Uh, until you finish a long rest, you can do one of two things. You can either have it carry a telepathic message of up to 25 words to a creature holding or carrying the token, which I would definitely use to fuck with NPCs. Mm -hmm. It would take sleight of hand and then just slip it into people's pockets and make them think that God is talking to them. Yeah, fair. I would uh, do this yeah. exact same thing. <laughs> Or you can do remote viewing with it. If the token is within 10 miles of the player, the PC can enter into a trance for up to a minute. While in the trance, you are blinded and deafened to your own immediate surroundings, but you can see and hear through the token as if you were there. After using this ability, the token is destroyed. Once you use the Eerie Token ability, you can't use it until you finish a long rest, at which point the body part regrows. And then finally, they get the Hex Magic trait where once per long rest, you can cast Hex and Disguise Self using either Charisma, Intelligence, or Wisdom, your choice when you gain the lineage. That's nuts. As the spellcasting modifier, or you can also use your spell slots to cast these as well. So you basically add them to your spell list. This is, this is I think, in my opinion, the most powerful of the lineages. Mm -hmm. Just because having the ability to do a kind of limited level of message is always powerful. It's one of the unsung heroes of the cantrips. Yeah. And then Hex, essentially for free, you don't have to take a, a level dip into Warlock to get it. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, so when role-playing Hexblood, I think the first thing you need to ask yourself is, what is your character's relationship to its hag nature? Is it running from it and trying to find a way to cure itself? Does it embrace it and adventuring is its teenage rebellion before completing the transformation or finds a place to set up its own covet? Does it even know about its ancestry and are you ashamed of it and trying to hide it or do you show it proudly? In terms of combat tactics, the only real advice I have is take advantage of the free hex. It's probably one of my favorite spells. Yeah. Yeah. Like just ridiculously powerful for a first level spell. For what it is, yeah. Yeah. Eight hours? And for an added damage, ridiculous. Other than that, I think it will really depend on what class you take. You good? Yeah. All right, so let's roll initiative. I want to know a couple of opinions you guys have about this. All right, James, you're up oh. first. Kyle, you're going last. Give you a break for a second. No! So um, what trait do you think this lineage is missing? If you could give this an additional power... That's not going to totally overpower it. What do you think it's missing? Minor illusion. Ooh. It's a ha it's a part hag. Yeah. And they don't like showing their true form. Every hag I've dealt with has either gone invisible at a point or done some kind of illusion. I feel like mm -hmm. at, at level five, you should be able to gain the ability to change your appearance to walk among the normies. Yeah. Some minor, some kind of illusion spell. I feel like once a day, it lasts 24 hours. Like you just get it and call it a day. Yeah, I like that. And it, I would even do it at uh, level one, but it activates automatically, so you don't know that you've been changed if that's part of the backstory. 
So you're automatically just looking normal, even to you. I think the thing that, that I would add to it is uh, it should have a familiar. You should automatically get a familiar with this. Hags get familiars. And I don't mean, like, we don't have to blow the lid off this. Make it a toad, a bat, or a cat, right? Like, it could just be something very simple, but give it just natural, fine familiar. Just makes a lot of sense to me. I would have said it should get proficiency in persuasion and deception. Deception for sure. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe insight and deception, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? The ability to, like, like narrow her eyes and look deeply into... The other cool thing, too, is that you're going to get hag flavor for, for guys, which is not something you get in the lore, right? It's all female-based in, in the lore. So you can actually have hexblood men walking around to get that hag flavor, too, which is probably actually going to happen more often than not with this subclass, or the subrace. Probably. Yeah. So, James... What's one interesting reason why you think one of the Hexblood would become an adventurer? You can go simple, like they're looking for their cure, or they're looking for their revenge. They don't think they'll ever be cured, but they can go deal with what did this to them. So it, it's a direct result of being um, turned action, into one. Yeah. yeah, okay. I could honestly just buffing up the spell list, right? Mm. If, when you get Fae touched like this, when you get influenced by Hags... I assume that you never get a good night's sleep and you get nightmares all the time. That, that's a that's a hag thing. About Wait, people get good night's sleep? <laughs> <laughs> so I have heard, yes. Um, but uh, I, I like the idea of them going out into the world to... Because a personality is being slowly changed as well. Not to say evil, but there's that idea of, hey, I know weirder kinds of magic now and I would like to know more. So like a dark whispering voice in the back of your head. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, this look, this I'm, I'm jumping ahead here in my questions. This really suits a warlock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think an interesting reason it would go venturing is just trying to gain power. Uh, actually, very much along the lines you said, but to challenge a hag for its own covet. Like I know it's not exactly how it works, but mm. still, I like the idea of embracing it and mm. just being like, you know what, fuck it. Born and raised in a domain of dread, you there's kind of an evil in you, right? I don't think that these places breed good people. Yeah. And so, you know, it's wanting to be at the top of the food chain. Yeah, I like that. James, any tips for role-playing a Hexblood? I would lean into your natural lack of trust in people, because you know they wouldn't trust you if they knew what you were. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to trust your party right away. That helpful shopkeeper, you're going to be wary of them the whole time. Even if you get changed partly through a campaign, you're going to be standoffish yeah. now to see how they're going to react. Yeah, figure yeah. out, especially if you get turned halfway through the campaign. You're used to dealing with this person as, let's say, an elf. And now you're not fully an elf anymore. They may not be able to recognize it on you, but they'll probably tell something's off. Yeah. yeah. Like the Uncanny Valley issue, when you look at something that looks too real from a computer, yeah. you're like... It's not real, but it, my brain tells me it is, but it's not. Yeah, like looking at Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a lizard, so. <laughs> uh, my big thing here is I'm going to change some of the way that, if I'm a spellcaster, I'm changing how I'm doing it now. My spellcasting focus is going to be a small leathery bag full of bones that I'm casting on the ground and shit. I'm going to try to lean into the weird side of hags, and I'm not going to do it right away. The longer I am a Hexblood, the more that my party is going to see me shifting and changing as I become more powerful. I want to hit level 20 and look for all intents and purposes and act like a hag. I'm just doing other shit too. 
based on my class and background, right? So I really want to see the slow evolution of the tainted blood side of of this lineage. I think that'd be a lot of fun to role play as, especially if you're willing to change your alignment slowly towards neutral evil. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Change my alignment to neutral <laughs> evil. Yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it only matters if you didn't start. There. I started there. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, you have a role-playing tip? Uh, I, I think you really need to ask yourself, what is the nature of the change? Because I think it is going to deeply affect it, right? I think if it is a hag curse, then, yeah, it's slowly going to seep into your body. Yeah, are they happy about it? Are they sad about it? Are they ashamed of it? Are you trying to hide it? Or are you just fucking it, leaning into it all out? Did you go looking for this bargain in the first place? Yeah. Or was this your power play? Yeah. You're sick and tired of being a stupid mortal human. And I'm hanging out Variant with... human fighter. Tired of it? <laughs> Not even variant. Just like, no, human. human oh, fighter. poor you. Yeah, right? I, I am a pre-Fizban's dragonborn. I need something else. So, actually, what kind of subclass... Uh, or class would be a good thematic fit for this. Obviously Warlock, yeah, I mean, but beside that, I think it'd be fun to tie it with a Paladin. Mm. I think it'd be a weird contrast between, especially if you've been playing a lawful good Paladin, mm -hmm. and this is a curse on you. How do your powers work now? You say that for Cleric too. You have a yeah. god, but you're getting powers from a hag. I can see a Cleric being able to get away with it a bit, just how I see it. Like, Paladins are... Hard to the point where clerics are more. I'm going to heal people and spread the word. Where cleric, that, that's only life cleric. There's eleven other kinds of yeah. clerics at this point. And remember, cleric. I, I cannot wrap my brain around the cleric that multiclasses into warlock. Yeah, having two sugar daddies. I mean, you're cheating on one of them, and they're going to find out. Yeah, one doesn't care. Or maybe both don't. Uh, we don't all live in the happy fictional fanfic realm. We're playing a fanfic, yeah, so... Okay, well, well, shut up, James. <laughs> um, the, uh... Don't you fucking ruin it. <laughs> I'm 100 never thought of that yourself. No, shut up. <laughs> okay, well, I'm totally fucking derailed. Uh, Kyle, class or subclass? Uh, yeah, Warlock would have been my go-to, but I think you can make a convincing argument for a cleric of... A god that is the anathema to hags. Then right? they are. Like, yeah, they fucking hate hags. And so they're they're going to go to a god and be like, help me get rid of this. Right? And so it's a holy quest to fucking smash as many hags as you can. Or embrace a dark or, god. What, not in the way Adam does. What, what kind of smash? Not in the way you would, oh, ha okay. would hag. Uh, I also think Oath of Vengeance Paladin would work really well for the same reason. I really, really like the idea of the the weird, creepy, like, spores druid. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right? The, the never clean, always dirty, lives in the woods, doesn't understand people, low charisma, big on the weird. And I would play that level of, like, like Celtic... Um, Radagast the Brown. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that love that level of Celtic, like almost Stonehenge level of weird druid, as opposed to the the hippie, right? Yeah, which is the the stereotypical one. Yeah, Radagast is a great example of that. And adding hex blood on top of that thematically kind of fits in some ways. I could really lean into to the idea of I have I have this these crows that follow me around. Every time one dies, I just pull the skull out and I use it as a as uh, spell casting focus or, or material of 
like consistently just pulling out wet specimens of dead creatures out of your bag, <laughs> right? Well, because I mean, the circle of life is you you live, you die, you rot, and then you become food for the next thing. So here you go. That's really druid and also really hag, right? Yeah. So I I could lean into that. Okay, I like that. Um, what would be one of the most interesting races to change from for this lineage? ASMR. Oh, that, 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 that is a bad fall. That is a long <laughs> yeah. fall. I was going to say, and, and this is going to be my answer for all of them today, uh, Warforged. Yeah. It's uh, boring. You think that's boring? I think that's boring. Well, I, I like Warforged because Warforged have only been alive for, what, less than 10 years, and they no longer know the purpose because there's no war anymore. They have no reason for living, no god that created them. The wizards that made them are all dead and they have no homeland. And then they get adopted by especially the the hags, the Dodgers, the Sorakel, and Eberron. That that could be that could be really fun. I don't know, I don't like it. I it just doesn't feel like it meshes to me. Like, feels I like, like Warforge, I know they're not considered constructs, but I mean come on, they're fucking constructs. How are they, like, uh, listen, there's no... Me, it's because they're so... Warforged are so open-ended with only being yeah. alive ten years, the war being over. It's an easy just kind of slot into the empty space on the shelf. I'd like something a little more nuanced and complicated. But the hags eat children, exactly. and then, like, that's like, how they the make them. Warforged can't make children, yeah. so... So, what, is the hag swallowing a Warforged? Warforged and, and laying it like a giant know, it just died, it, I don't like it. Well, they don't necessarily have to swallow the children to do that. They could just, depending on your origin. <laughs> look, I, I think that it would be really neat to be, uh, there's no other Warforge is going to have this hex blood shit to them. That's going to be yeah. weird and unique. Whereas you're going to see fairies and centaurs that have been tainted by hex blood. Right? See, I feel like it would be the opposite. I feel like there would be a lot more Warforge and fairies if we're going from your idea of it because they're so blank and open and they're just standing around from the war. It'd be easy to course them into any of these backgrounds. So I feel like it would be a common occurrence. I would hope so, but it just has never come up, right? Because hex blood are from Ravenloft and Eberron, yeah. right? So... So I would I would like to see that. That'd be something that I think would could be fun. What's one creative build that you would be excited to play as this lineage? Um I'd be interested to do something that turned halfway. And yeah, yeah have that as their new major goal of recovery. What's the what is the class or race they're coming from? What is the one thing you want to try? If you're if you have to play a hex blood, <sighs> probably some martial class. I think it would just add that much more oomph to your martial abilities. Maybe a fighter. Specific subclass? Nah. No? I'm not a martial user no, to begin with, so... No, that's because I don't inherently blow things up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I really... There's no fire, I'm not interested. <laughs> Basically. I also have issue there isn't, like, ice ball, like, similar to fireball. Yeah. Like, there should be an elemental weapon ball for everything. Transmuted spell with a sorcerer. You can change it to an ice ball. But it should be standard, Kai. Yeah, there should be more ice balls. I agree. I definitely want to play a bard. That's a hex blood. Yeah. Okay. All that charisma, the charming, the illusion that can come with that is going to fit nicely together. And uh, to go from being the prettiest guy in the room to suddenly this is going to be fun to role play as as well. Okay. I would go with an Oath of Vengeance Paladin, and I would pick a gnome or halfling because a tiny, angry... Little being yeah. that's part hag They're is hilarious. hilarious to me. It is. And you didn't like Chucky? 
No, of course. No, I'm not talking about an animatronic puppet. I'm talking about like a little potato yeah, coming at just you. a little right. gnome that looks like a half egg. And he's just angry about it. Just fucking Aren't gnomes furious. always angry for being yeah, they like <laughs> way down there? In my head, they're all ugly little hags. They all look like potatoes to me. Yeah. If you're listening to this in the future, after May 20th, 2022, hang your head in shame. You are late to the party, and you've missed an opportunity. You've heard me bitch in the past on this podcast about how I want a proper summoner class that doesn't bog down gameplay with too many summons that just makes initiative painful. And the good news is, now there is a Kickstarter that is just about to wrap up that you guys can still jump in on, and it's called Creed's Codex, Arcane Secrets of the Summoners. But remember to get in there before May 19th, 2022. If it's May 20th, you've waited too long. Again, this is called Creed's Codex, Arcane Secrets of the Summoners. And this actually brings a full summoning class to 5th edition. Not a subclass for wizards or sorcerers, an actual summoners class. Creed's Codex, Arcane Secrets of the Summoners, is a player supplement that uses the D&D 5th ed rule set. They've blown past their funding goal in the first few hours, so this campaign is guaranteed to be funded, and it's already unlocked its first five stretch goals, adding an additional subclass, a Pathfinder-inspired Adolin, additional artwork, spells, and a whole lot more to the book. It's over 100 pages long, it's fully illustrated, it's got, like I say, a, a new summoner class, with the subclasses of a Colossus, which focuses on single summons, the Convergent, which uses random tables to determine what they summon. The Hive Mind gains strength by having more than one summon under their control. And the Evolutionist uses a personally customized Adolin as their summon. There's a fifth subclass that was unlocked by a Master Summoner backer uh, and is currently under development and details will be coming soon. But you get all of these subclasses as well as over 35 spells, over 10 new feats, over 10 new gear options, and their symbiotic gear that evolves with you. Creed's Codex also has an awesome new feature called the Point of Convergence. This is an ability that allows players to push past their normal limits at the cost of exhaustion. Tapping into this power source comes with a greater risk than just exhaustion, though. You also have to roll on a Point of Convergence table to see what sort of event is triggered because you're doing too much. You can potentially damage your enemies or hinder your allies or unleash a cataclysmic event. It is a gamble that will bring an element of daring to tables everywhere with more agency than a crit table or a crit fail table can possibly give you because now the players are in control, not the dice. There are still a handful of rewards that are left at a 45% discount. You can pick up the digital copy of the book for only $16 or a hardcover, including the digital, for $27. Additional pledges are available and include player tokens, playtesting access, early content releases, digital artwork. There's so much more. So check the show notes for the campaign video, as well as a link to the Kickstarter itself, and make sure that you get in on this while you still can. Otherwise, you may have to head over to DriveThruRPG and pick it up there if you're one of these poor, unfortunate souls who is stuck listening to this episode in the future. 
Again, the name of this Kickstarter is Creed's Codex, Arcane Secrets of the Summoner. And it is by far my favorite Kickstarter that's running right now. And I highly recommend that you go check this out while you still can. You only have until May 19th to take advantage of these offers at these prices. Okay, so the next one on the list is the Reborn. I've got a lot of thoughts about this because there's they seem to have slammed about seven different ideas into one lineage, and it's hard to wrap your brain around uh, at first. Fifth edition has some real issues when it comes to uh, stitching together. That's a call forward, not a callback. You'll, you'll get that in a minute. When it comes to stitching together the idea of undead and, and players. Foreshadowing, when, I think is the word you're looking for. I believe so. But I'm not foreshadowing. It's a call forward. All right. Oh, and I gotta figure Semantics. out. Now I gotta figure out how to how to like like back shadow. It's gonna bother me for the rest of the fucking episode. <laughs> no. Yes. Okay. All right. So <laughs> success. <laughs> anyway, so the idea here is um, with the reborn that you had a previous life. You have died, but you're not quite dead. You're not necessarily alive. You're neither and both at the same time. The we have weird undead warlocks and undying warlocks, and we've got the uh, the barbarian that can't fall down and always gets back up. Like we kind of get a lot of this flavor, like the chosen by the god that won't let you die. There's a lot of that stuff, and now we're getting it for a, a specific lineage that could be applied to somebody. And there's a lot of different origins listed. There's a D8 table for it. Um, I'm gonna list a couple of them in a minute, but they're let's see, that's foreshadowing. Anyway, so the the idea here with the with Reborn is that suddenly one day you wake up with almost no memory, which is a bullshit role-playing trope in the first place, but it's now hard-baked into this one. You've got very poor memory of your previous life, and your body has significantly changed in some way. You are returning to either consciousness or your soul is back in your body, or a body has been uh, stitched together, now given consciousness. There's a lot of options here. So the idea here is that your your life was um, interrupted and you only have a vague idea of who you are and why and the details are very, very loose. And as a matter of fact, it gives you a D6 table of lost memories because it says that, I'm going to quote it directly, occasionally in a moment of peace, stress, or excitement, a reborn gains a glimpse of what came before. So you don't necessarily know. It's like Wolverine every once in a while would, would twitch and suddenly remember a, a piece of his past of getting tortured or, or something that used to make him happy. It's Then it's the same thing here. I'm going to get into it, but you don't have to sleep as one of these guys. You don't even really trance. You just stop doing anything. And sometimes you get a memory when that happens. Mm -hmm. Now, they give you a D6 table. And it's stuff like, you recall a physically painful moment. What mark or scar on your body does it relate to? Or a memory brings with it the voice of someone once close to you. How do they advise you? Sounds really generic. You're supposed to occasionally roll in this D6 table to see kind of what pops up. So you're building your backstory as you go. I kind of hate that. For me, I want at least a DM to know what your backstory is, be able to drop hints. And the DM should be rolling in this table to tell you what you see. You should not be in control of it as a player yeah. if, you're, if you're choosing this. But if you got interrupted partway through a campaign and then you suddenly become a reborn, it might be neat for you to remember bits and pieces that have happened earlier in the campaign while well, you you got to sit there and play dumb 
We did one episode way back when about the Feywild. We talked about memory loss in it as well. And I spent that entire episode going, did we talk about that already? When we clearly just did. And it drove Terry up the fucking... <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, he could not handle... Because he kept saying, I don't know if we talked about this. Did we already talk about, about Hags? And Dan would be like, yes, we just did. And Dan knew what I was doing. Yeah. Terry could not fucking keep up with yeah. that. When did we mention that? And he would explain it to me again. And this went on and on. And I feel like being a reborn, would you get to do that shit? Which would be a lot of fun. Uh, um, when it comes to the origins, I actually want to hit on more than just a couple. We normally just, just knock off a couple. But they're kind of radically all over the place. Because this... Is part zombie, part ghost, part mummy, part Frankenstein. It kind of fills in a lot of the blanks here. One of them is you're magically resurrected, but something went wrong. That's your origin. That's your whole origin. That's why you're a reborn. The The idea of, of okay, now it's a dungeon master. Anytime that someone gets revivify cast on them, I can roll percentile dice. And if we roll less than a five, no, nah, I might as well roll a d20. If we roll a one, then you come back as a reborn. Mm. That just, like... That's fun and scary and weird, right? Stitches bind your body's mixed, matched pieces, and your memories come from multiple different lives, is one of them. So that's your Frankenstein origin. You awoke in an abandoned laboratory alongside complex designs for clockwork organs. You were a necromancer's undead servant for years. And one day, your consciousness returned. There's a lot of different origins. Some of it feels construct. Some of it feels undead. Mm -hmm. Right, I get zombie and I also get flesh golem out of this at the same time. Um, when it comes to where you could have been reborn from in the domains of dread from uh, Ravenloft, they recommend Parakir, which is the Egyptian mummy themed, uh, which makes a certain amount of sense. You're, I, I would bring you back, or maybe at the beginning, you raised up wrapped in bandages in a sarcophagus. Lamordia which is the mad scientist, flesh golem kind of rebuilding, Igor, go get me more parts kind of thing. But it, uh, that, I believe, is a snow-filled icy landscape with uh, essentially towers of mad scientist shit going on in the middle of the Arctic. And then the last one is Mordant, which is the kind of ghost story, the haunted house version of the Domains of Dread, where... There are disembodied spirits moving all, all around all the time. So maybe you're reincarnated in the wrong body or you are your soul is returned in a ritual to your rotting body that you can't, you know, they didn't resurrect you properly. You just got put back into your husk, right? So there are some options in there that are going to spark some inspiration. But when it comes to traits, you're a humanoid. It doesn't feel right to me. Mm. You're small or medium, depending on, I guess, what you were before, which is fair. Uh, your walking speed is 30 feet. If you replace, okay, so it's your ancestral legacy, it's the same thing. You can replace your skills with two new skills, or you can keep your skills uh, and your climbing, flying, and swimming speed if you have one from whatever your previous uh, race is. So, I don't know why you would ever just say, give me two new skills. Yeah. Like, uh, anyway... You get Deathless Nature, which is, I think, my favorite thing. And I, I'm going to apply this to all of my enemy NPCs that were the party beforehand. You have advantage on saving throws against disease and being poisoned. And you have resistance to poison damage. Thematically makes sense. Mm -hmm. You have advantage on death saving throws. Potentially one of the most powerful mechanics in the game. I wouldn't even say potentially. It's just how often is it going to show up. Right, it'll keep. If I'm you... playing with you often enough. Yeah, yeah. okay, that, that, that's fair. 
Uh, you don't need to eat, drink, or breathe when you combine that with the swim speed of some races. Yeah. Like lizard, the lizard folk? No. Turtles no. need to breathe, but they have our breath. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and I think that's lizard folk as well. They yeah. can hold their breath. You can hold their breath for an hour or something like yeah. that. Being able to swim and not needing to breathe really helps. Although lizard folk doesn't need to eat is a little strange. You don't need to sleep, and magic can't put you to sleep. You can finish a long rest in four hours if you spend those hours in an inactive, motionless state, during which you retain consciousness. Similar to Warforge, then. Yeah, Yeah, similar to elves as well, when they got a trance. Yeah, elves don't get to keep consciousness. I know Warforge do. Cause yeah. I we had a Warforge in a campaign, and he exclusively was the watch, because he didn't have to sleep and could watch. Yeah, and so this is another example of that. I also think it's good, flavorful, <laughs> creepy bullshit for... You know, everybody wakes up in the middle of the night and they roll over and you're just sitting cross-legged just staring at them. Staring through them, but like, that can be fun and, and creepy. Also, you get knowledge from a past life. So, this is... You familiar with the halfling luck bullshit? Yeah. Right? The, yeah. the mechanic where you just get to re-roll sometimes? This is half of that. It's almost that, a little bit more palatable. So, the idea here is that when you make an ability check that uses a skill, when you see the d20 roll but before you announce if it's a success or not you can then choose to roll a d6 and add that total to what you rolled on a 20. you can use this feature a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus but it recharges on a long rest and the idea is that you are remembering something from your previous life so that's when you would roll in this d6 table that would in theory help you with this roll neat interesting mechanically kind of fun it's gonna get your ass out of jail a couple of times it's pretty good it's, it's almost like bardic inspiration it's pretty, yeah. pretty powerful yeah yeah like i i don't mind this mechanically speaking this doesn't suck thematically yeah. speaking depending on which way you go it could be really interesting but there's not a whole lot that there's not a whole lot of cohesion between one reborn and another it's yeah. just kind of all over the place right about what your origin might be you're back we don't know why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's classifying something as an ant. There's fire ants, there's brown ants, there's carpenter ants, but they're all ants. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and they're all radically different too, yeah. right? I mean, there's a big difference between an ostrich, a penguin, and a pigeon, but we're going to say bird, right? Like, I want there to be more specificity when it comes to the reborn. This could have been two or three different subclasses that were more fleshed out and more specifics to them. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised that coming in sixth. I feel like this is more of a, here's some new ways to look at races, classes, backgrounds, and everything. Yeah. Don't get mad yet. So when 6th edition drops, it'd be like, here's the new method. Suck yeah. it up, we already showed you. This is just yeah. a playtest that they yeah. do no actual book thing. People have been saying that online since Tasha's came out. Yeah. yeah. All it's about the, the time stuff. when, uh, from what I've seen looking up and all that, when uh, Psionic starts coming into play... Yep. that's when the next edition's kind of on the way. Yep, yeah. and, well, yeah. I think this is good in terms of, if you have that one player that doesn't want to write a backstory, like, there's like, just give me a character like to play. Dave, just yeah. surprise me as we go. Yeah. yeah. Dave should play a fucking Reborn. This definitely puts the heavy lifting on a DM. Yeah. Um, or, on a seasoned role player, if this transition happens mid-campaign. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't give this to someone who's not going to role play the shit out of this. I would totally give this to Terry. Oh yeah. He would lean in so hard to the I don't remember. I think yeah. Justin would be good for this too. Yeah. 
So he let's chomp it on the scenery. Let's grab our dice and let's uh, roll for questions. Nineteen. Nineteen. Oh shit. Twenty. Oh my. Right, hold on, James. We got to roll off. I got a three. Boo. Twenty. And ah, oh, fuck off. All right. So, Kyle, you're first. Do you think there's a trait that's missing from this? Uh, I think you should really be able to keep a trait from a single trait from a previous life. It shouldn't just be straight up replaced. Mm. This strikes me as more of a last form, not something new. So the idea is that you're keeping all of your class and background shit. It's yeah. just replacing the race. So you should have the opportunity but, to choose one thing from the race. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically, rather than two new skills, like keep one and then get a new one. Um, James, um, depend. Like there's some, from what I you're saying, there's some elements of construct in it, though it's not considered a construct. There's like the uh, clockwork organs, yeah. right? I feel like there should be other ways to. Heal heal yourself too. I feel a lot about with most of the races how they all have unique properties that they should be able to heal themselves from uniquely from their domain. This is why I wanted it to be different whether it was the construct version or the undead version because yeah. the construct the, the mending spell can heal you exactly. 1d6 per hit like yeah something. You right? should be so, able to have other just because the way especially because it sounds like an amalgamation of parts and souls and yeah. things there should be other ways to heal you. You can take parts off dead bodies and then yeah, put them on yourself. Yeah, take parts off dead bodies. Or when you catch, let's say, a rat in a city, yeah. you're able to kill it with a special knife and get some hit points back mm. because you took part of its soul. Ooh, I like that. Like stuff like that, that where that, it just kind of... more like a class ability than a race ability, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling I you feel on like that. I feel like the There's way the new there. races and like this setup yeah. is, I think it would fit really well for that setup. Well, I was going to say, honestly, I think the thing that's missing here is they should wipe your background. Yeah. Why are you still... Like, how... Why do you still have all your far traveler or your hermit or your soldier? I see it as muscle memory. Yeah. Maybe, but some of the special features you get in that are like... Like Haunted One mm. is the background that you get in Curse of Strahd, uh, where uh, people are going to uh, are going to just help you because they feel your your trauma from your past. Like, I feel like that's attached know, to your soul. Yeah, but you don't know what that is. Like that, you that's, may not know it, but I feel like they see it. Okay, what about what about all that that stupid crazy shit for the uh, being able to just get free room and board sometimes because you have connections. You don't know what those connections. I just yes. think, I think they should give you two or three background options that are blank slate, mm -hmm. quote unquote, options that you would have until you can figure out what your previous background was, right? I also think there should be some sort of learning mechanic as yeah. well, but that's just me. Kyle, what's one interesting reason why one of these creatures would become an adventurer? Vengeance, I guess. Yeah, yeah seems like the most obvious. Oh, the most obvious. Okay. James. Hunt for their memories. That's the most obvious one to me. Yeah. Like, who was Get their memories I? back. Right. Who was I? Yeah, I <laughs> I like the idea of... Um, I was thinking about the Frankenstein monster, the bits and pieces of different body parts. Mm. I'm on a, a world tour to visit the homeland of every one of my body parts to see how I feel connected to them. Yeah, right. So, like, you go find the little old lady that was your wife for 40 years. Yeah. You're like, hey, do you remember this hand? <laughs> I'm I'm seventeen percent your husband. Yeah. 
I want you to know so he's like, gone off to a better place, yeah. but we're still fighting the good fight. I, I would like to divorce, of you. and I will take seventeen percent of your assets. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We're like feeling a slight tugging of one of your body parts that wants to lead you in a certain direction because it, <laughs> it's like trying to reclaim. Yeah, it's idle hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Kyle, what the, what kind of insights do you have for players who want to explore role playing this kind of character? Uh, you better have one hell of an involved DM. Because this is it's going to be a huge amount of work for them. If you want to get deeply into role playing, this it's going to take a lot of conversations between you two, and like maybe come with a vague idea and then let the DM kind of fill in the gaps. Because mm-hmm. I think you should play into the idea of the spotty memory. So how it comes back together. Yeah. Let the, let it be a surprise for you. Be willing to roll with the punches on this. Yeah, cool. Okay. James? For me, very similar to what Kyle said, but it's kind of an expansion on it. This is the type of character I would build a campaign in advance. So at the start of this, let's say we're starting a campaign tomorrow. To start of that campaign, I will have built this character and I will discuss with my DM for the next campaign. So we can get it really fleshed out, but by the time I play that character, I will not remember a thing. Oh, yeah. But the DM has it written down somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So when you play... It's brand new to me. Look at this but guy. It's multiple campaigns. Yeah. So. <laughs> Fuck. No, one campaign, just yeah, next yeah, campaign yeah. two years later. Honestly, for me, my warning is this can get annoying for the other players at the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Playing dumb, especially if this happens to you mid campaign and you suddenly like, I don't understand that. What's that? I don't know. And having to force the other players to explain the same shit over and over to you, that can be interesting for plot reasons occasionally i would really say my character is going to be confused and sit back quietly and watch and try to figure out what's going on until and and see who else is going to bite on that and if nobody does that's fine i will learn from contextual clues yeah over time but i'm not going to force this one like memory loss character onto the other players in every single encounter or scene that we end up mm-hmm. in I know I feel for that is you need to have something at the start of the campaign saying there'll be certain situations where you're going to ask for clarification and others where the party can just say, we'd explained it to you. Yeah. Just let it be waved away that it did happen. So you know what's going on, but let's not take 10 minutes explaining what color pink is. You should have a personality and you should still have some basic understanding of how things work. Yeah, right. You, you know that you feel it's superstitious just, about crows. You just don't know why. Yeah. Right? Like, there's there's definitely the echoes of your previous personality. They just don't make sense to you. Yeah. You're not a blank slate where nothing is going on behind the eyes, right? Like, you still understand how to walk, talk. You still yeah. have languages. You still You're have skills. You're not Pinocchio, who's just confused. What school? Where do I go? Don't worry, down the street, someone will help you figure it out. I'm going to be going to walk you to your first day of school, you yeah. fucking puppet. Like, God fucking <laughs> damn it, God. I got to hate Geppetto. He's a piece of shit. Anyways, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Moving on. Are they making a new Pinocchio movie? Oh, probably. They make a new one every, like, 25 minutes. It frustrates <laughs> the shit out of me. So, what class or subclass would be a good thematic fit for this race, and why? Uh, Marshal, Paladin, Fighter, Barbarian, or Way of the Long Death Monk. Yeah, I think that'd be kind of fun, but I don't know. Definitely a martial class. It doesn't feel like a spellcaster to me. It's too much memory involved. I mean, I guess it's sorcerer. You could do sorcerer, but yeah, but I mean, tr- having to remember what your spells are, remember your rituals and shit, but you don't remember anything else. Yeah, a little. Yeah, that makes sense, James. 
I would do Sorcerer, but I'd multi-class it and do the Frankenstein's monster version. So my hands are from a Sorcerer. They know how to do the spell. Yeah, that's fine. My muscle memory in my brain knows the words, so they'll just come out. And then have a martial class as well from your legs or something, or your fists or something else, giving you multiple classes from your body parts. Okay. And if your DM lets you, let them replace your body parts for a new class. Uh, so you can keep lower powered because you're multi-class, while well, everyone else is running to level 20 as one, but you're able to change out for the party. So you can take off your arms and put on bard arms for the next fight because you know you're going to need the buffs. That is so much customized. That is, yeah. that is some, that some 3.5 level shit. <laughs> you can collect your enemies. Yeah. Just six character sheets ready to go yeah. all day. <laughs> all prepared. Yeah. Honestly, uh, I think Warlock would be loads of fun with this. The reason that you got brought back is because they're not fucking done with you yet. I feel like all these fit into Warlock too well, though. That's I'm trying to avoid it. Yeah, it's just the the go-to immediate class for me. I really like the Undying because it's that Warlock subclass that nobody thinks about, but thematically now fits this. Yeah. Just the same way that the, uh, the Zealot Barbarian who just keeps like, Getting the fuck back up over and over and over again. You died, but no, don't worry about it. Keep going. Yeah. Right? Like, this is going to thematically fit. You're going to be the last. You will be sitting there swimming through lava going, guys, I'm not dead yet. Guys, help, please. I'm not dead yet. What's one of the most interesting, one of the races to pick from, Kyle? A Simic hybrid. I clearly, yeah. Especially yeah. if you want Frankenstein roots. Yeah. Yeah. Shifter. Shifter be neat. Yeah. Yeah, Shifter be neat. I also like the uh, the idea of the Kalistar as yeah. well. The Kalistar are um, literally imbued with creatures from the dream dimension. All right. So having that creature torn out of your your soul or out of your mind might make you a bit of a weird blank slate, right? If you are if you have a symbiotic relationship with something and then suddenly that's gone, what's left? That could be your origin. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you have a creative build you'd be excited to play for this? Uh, honestly, this one isn't, this was tough for me. I, not a lot draws me to this, but I think, I think a secret baddie would be good for this, right? Yeah. Where it's slowly kind of feeding, like when you get the repressed memories, it's like leading you towards a certain path of action that's been kind of instilled in you. And it can be a really good role-playing opportunity if you're with the right party to kind of have a battle against your what's put in your mind and who you are becoming, mm-hmm. right? So it's a nature versus nurture kind of battle. Okay, cool. For me, I think this would be good for someone entering a campaign late, mm-hmm. and I would have it that the party was responsible for that person's death. That'd be cool, so uh, especially the, if it was an NPC yeah, at a time. So, at a time. <laughs> so the party's not entirely sure it was their fault. Yeah. And that person obviously doesn't know it was the party's fault. So as they slowly regain memories, they slowly realize the party's bad. Well, not bad per se, but did them in. And that's where, as Kyle said, I'd give them the opportunity to start push toward to being or helping the bad guy. I just love the idea. You know, you know the goblin that gets adopted by the party, yes. right? Mm-hmm. I love the idea of that goblin dying at level 12 just as somebody else comes in to play. So you give them the goblin character sheet and they have no idea. Everybody else is like, yeah, you're back. He's like, Kate, what? And like, hey, remember this hilarious yeah. potion? He's like, 
Nope. What? <laughs> that could be a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, and gives a reason why that player knows nothing and everything needs to be re-explained to them. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. That's yeah, that's great. Um, for me, I am gonna play the long con on this as a DM. I'm gonna work with the DM because we're gonna start at level one with the reborn, and I don't know who I am or whatnot, but I'm a necromancer. I'm a cleric, uh, the death domain cleric. Something that's you know not evil, but I mean. Mm. Yeah, evil. evil adjacent. Yeah, so and it's totally gonna fit this, or maybe an artificer, and then who comes back as a Frankenstein monster? Like, oh, oh, did I do this? Was, uh, hey, was this an experiment? Yeah, yeah. did I do it to myself? And then as you go, you're hunting down the great big villain who is just known as you know the Dark Lord or whatever that that you're fighting against the the big bad evil guy that you keep running into like lieutenants and generals. But you never meet them till the very end, and you bust into their lab, and you realize that it was this player the whole fucking time, and then he gets the final memories, yeah. and all of the clues you've strewn across for the last two years of gameplay suddenly fall into place, and now it's one player versus the other three in the party. Another on that, I was just thinking as you were saying that, is don't work with the player on this. So... Oh, you just slowly out. give out clues that this player's character is responsible. Mm-hmm. So at the last session, when they're about to go fight the big bad, who's technically this player's character and all the other generals, do they turn on their former allies who are all the bad guys, or do they fight with their fight against their party? Mm. Yeah. So it gives that player that moral dilemma of. Do I fight against all my real life friends I've been playing with? And that's not play a the character? Everyone in this room would do that yeah. in a heartbeat. We're not good people. Okay. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I've never claimed to be a person. Fair. <laughs> if you were DMing for this person playing a reborn, are you letting the table know the memories or are you slipping this player little notes Both. every once in a while? Yeah, it would depend on the memory. Yeah. All right. Both. If it's like a big reactive memory, they're going to react. So I'm not going to give them the option to not let it out but if it's a you realize while you're standing at the back of the party that you recognize this hallway you've been here before you don't okay. need to share the party. enough yeah, yeah it's knocking yeah. yourself into the back you kind of just recognize it you don't know where you recognize it yet but you do and you know you're not going to want to share that with everyone yeah i would just have like the thing okay so you have your your little toy your your whatever that sits beside you. it's your sidekick that the dm always has beside his dice tray Right, that just like the little figurine of Batman, just something he's always got there. And whenever Batman is moved to the other side of the tray, that character has deja vu. And that player knows it, but it's never told to anybody else. And so you've got this subtle little little indicator that, hey, you have deja vu. You've seen this before, but you don't know why or where or or what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it would get him to stop and look closer. Can I do perception checks? Can I do investigation? What's my insight? Oh, we walk up and talk to the barmaid. Deja vu. What? Right, and now suddenly it matters, and one person is going to be looking into it a whole lot more. So I think there's a lot of, of fun um, role play opportunity to have with this if you are a DM who was really fucky. Yeah. So you. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> yes, me. But but I mean, it's fucky in a good way, right? R- r- right. So if you like what you've heard here today, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and it's our it's mimic on Reddit. As well as you can email us at info at itsmimic.com, all your mailbag questions to any of the DMs on the podcast, positive reviews, sharing on social media, and word of mouth are how we pass this podcast around, so please do share. All right, James, that's you. You have the final lineage. 
to go through today, which is the Dompier. 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 Or the Dampire. Yeah. Dampire. <laughs> the Dompier. just a wet vampire. It's a wet vampire. <laughs> it's a, a Dampire. <laughs> okay. So Dampiers sit between the worlds of the living and the dead. They retain their grip on life and endlessly tested by vicious hungers. Uh, so with the Dampier, you're given a hunger table. You get two nice tables out of this to kind of figure out what your craving is. One of my personal favorite is cerebral spinal fluid, because that's just the way you go about acquiring that it's seems cool. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And dreams as well, so that can allow players to play more like a succubus, incubus kind of feel to their vampire. Yep. Uh, you'd also get an origin table, which you're either reincar like one of them is you're reincarnated. You're the reincarnation of an ancestor who has a, who was a vampiric tyrant, which is one of the cooler ones. And then most of the others are you're either not a fully turned vampire or a sire of another vampire. Meaning you're not fully undead. You don't have all the vampire powers, but you do get a sprinkling of them, which is nice. We've already talked about ability scores, languages. Your creature type is human, like just about everything nowadays. <laughs> you do get a 35-foot walk speed. So that's five feet more than average. And that's, that's standard. That's yeah. not part of the ancestral legacy. That's just what you get for being this race. And also the really fun part about that is because it's your base walking speed... All that monk and barbarian shit's gonna stack, yep. right? And then another part I like about it is you can be a dwarf and get 10 feet additional walking speed from this. <laughs> That's one fast dwarf. Yes. And everything else, you get to keep your walk, fly, or your climb, fly, swim speeds. Sure, yeah. You get dark vision. It does, it, does it feel weird that you get to keep your swim speed even though you moving water axes no because you're not damage. a full vampire and you don't have that disadvantage but, okay i mean thematically though does that feel strange no it doesn't because the way i feel va vampires are they're not fully turned vampires the vampire who is their sire has said i like you i like what you do but not enough yet yeah, you gotta so have here's to earn some power your prove yourself okay and right. because they're not fully undead water doesn't affect them sunlight doesn't affect them it allows them to function as a normal player character without hampering the party too drastically. Also, okay. they're damp. It's built right into the name. Exactly. <laughs> Dump here. <laughs> you fucks. Um, one of the special things you get is Vampiric Bite, which is super cool. It's a 1d4 plus your constitution modifier. If you're below half health and it's not a construct or undead... You can either choose to regain hit points based on the amount of piercing damage done, or you can gain a bonus on your next ability score check or attack roll you make. Remember, you have to be half health for this to happen first. And the bonus is equal to the piercing damage done as well. That's kind of fun. Yeah, that's nice. I like that one. I don't know why you have to be half health first, though. Uh, because it's like the revitalizing. You're, you're drinking blood and getting back yeah. up. Yeah. Or you're hurt so that's when the hunger starts to take control i feel like it's partly the hunger starts to take control and your vampiric side like as the way i've been describing the vampiric sire's inner power realizes you're dying yeah and if i like i think of it as kind of a parasite so okay. if i want to live my host has to live yeah so here's an ability to get a little more life juice get some bone juice in you yeah all right or some cerebral 
Spinal fluid. Spinal fluid, which is just fantastic. You just that carry a big juice. needle around for spinal taps. I'm assuming they just bite the neck and start drinking like a straw. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is it weird that this is the only one of the three that gets dark vision? No, Hexbloods get dark vision. Do they? Yeah. Kyle just didn't say it. I did. You did? I was yeah. listening? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's hurtful. Seems, seems like, no, 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 he's a reborn, he just didn't remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. I, I also like spider climb for anything yeah. vampire related, right? Yeah. Yeah, you get a climb speed, which is cool at third level. So I'm I'm just I'm always a fan of that shit. Although as a DM, I love putting barriers in like physical barriers to split the party. And that's gonna just make my job yeah. just a tiny bit harder. I will allow Eric Oprah at the table, so I will allow this as well, but it does mean I've gotta think more strategically. Those those physical barriers suddenly become gaps and not walls, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So So it's interesting. I mean, obviously this one is gonna come from Barovia, right? Curse mm-hmm. of Strahd, Dompier. Makes sense. I mean, spoiler alert, Curse of Strahd, one of the first things you run into is a vampire spawn. So, like, we're we're on point for that one. Um, another one is the not originally named Darkon, which is essentially an apocalyptic world that is breaking apart, uh, which is a lot of fun and very thematic. But there's, uh, I think, vampire... Uh, aristocrats in that one as well that are it's hard built in if i'm remembering correctly you can go back and listen to the ravenloft episode that we did not long ago and then there's of course uh icath which is the kind of eastern vampiric kind of feel they gave us the uh jiang shi vampires which are described in this book in van richten's guide to ravenloft which are really creepy floating vampire like They've got a special level of, of creepiness that are not just your standard gothic horror. So you're getting different kind of flavors for the vampires. Also, I love that you can drink life energy, dreams, and psychic energy, mm-hmm. right? Because in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, they actually give us a mind drinker vampires as well, which are all about psychic energy. Mm-hmm. So you can, if you have access to that book as well, there's some ideas in there. You can use those as kind of a, an origin as well, which is neat. Do you have anything else on these, or should we roll? No, that was up? really it. All right. I think people understand the concept of a, of a Dom Pure. Yeah, it's vampire almost. 19. Okay, I got a 13 count. All right, so, James, first and foremost, what do you trait do you think this is missing? What should this have? A charm. Yeah, right. Some yeah. kind of minor charm. Even if it's like half power to a normal charm, yeah, I think there should be a charm. Yeah, a way to give yourself uh, advantage on the bite. Yeah, advantage on a bite or advantage in an interaction or just stop someone for an action. Yeah. So you're able to, like, flash your eyes and they just miss an action. Whether it's to investigate if you're lying, whether it's to attack you, you get one free turn. Maybe that costs you your attack action, so mm-hmm. you can't flash someone and then attack them, but you can flash them and then run away. Interesting. Without like, getting hurt. Like the friends yeah. trip, basically? Kind of like a one-round friend. Yeah. Where they're just not going to hurt you for the next round. So you have time to get away from that attack. Yeah, all right. I really want something along the lines of a... Um, if you take a certain amount of damage, you're below your certain amount of hit points or something, you have the... You, you use your reaction to immediately bite the nearest creature and then regain a number of hit dice you know, equal to half your level or something, right? So you can actually drain the energy out of someone in a moment of desperation. Like the idea of you are barely containing this bloodlust, and then all of a sudden you get hit so badly 
that you have no choice but to rage out and drink from the first thing. We see that in vampire horror and, and stuff all the time where you've been turned, but you're not turned yet. Mm. And then you are desperate and you make that decision or you're seduced to it. I would like to see a, a trait that kind of resembles that, reflects that ideal. Okay, kind of like Blade? Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I feel like then it would have to, especially with the abilities it already has, would have to be like less than an eighth of your health. Sure. It'd have to be like yeah. on death's door. But maybe maybe it's a death save thing. Right? Yeah. Like if you, uh, every time that. Or your first death save, so technically you get four. So the first one you get is this vampire ability where you'll just bite anyone close. Ally, foe, doesn't yeah. matter. If they're unconscious on the ground and not dead yet, doesn't matter to and, you. And maybe it's still maybe it's still just a D four, but that's enough to get yeah, you enough to get out you of up. the. There's uh, enough to stand up. Yeah, I'd be worried about PC on PC violence at that point, though, because you you got someone that's a half vampire. Maybe they're hiding it from yeah. the party and they don't know, and then all of a sudden, one of your PCs get bit. Like if it was a cleric that got bit. <laughs> that's an interesting. Hold on, that's an interesting point. Would you hide one of these lineages from the rest of the party? Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I am a big fan of not doing that. Let the players know, but don't let the characters know. Yeah, I agree there. Yeah, I let the players know. If it happened in the middle of the campaign and it didn't happen in front of everyone, I wouldn't. I'd keep it a secret, but otherwise, yeah, let the players know. But on that, if the vampire got up and bit you, I'd turn around and attack it. I'd have no qualms laying a fireball into an ally's face that's right in front of me, especially if I don't get hit. It's chewing on your ankle. (laughs) You get knocked down to like... You're not down and you chew on my ankle to get back up. I'm hitting you down yeah. so hard you're not getting back up. Yeah. I'm incinerating you. Like, <laughs> love, all my powers are going to kill I you. I love the idea that you are fighting shoulder to shoulder with Kyle. He goes, he gets like walloped by an ogre, face down in the mud. Yeah. He turns, nibbles your ankle so you just disintegrate his <laughs> yes. That is, fuck this ogre issue. I'll deal with this in I'm a in minute. the middle of combat what and as someone who I consider an ally is attacking me, they are yeah. a bigger threat because they know my abilities. They know my powers and they know how much I've used today. They're a bigger threat to me than that other creature. So we're, we're learning, do not betray James. Yeah. No. Betrayal is a huge thing, right? Like, I'd be way more mad. And then the next you're dead. Uh, What's one interesting reason why one of these creatures would become an adventurer? The hunger. Yeah. It's a lot easier to drink that blood, get that spinal fluid if you're a monster hunter. Do you think you can undo it? Should there be a way to undo this? Yes, because you're sired, but you have to kill... The vamp, not well, the vamp. So, sometimes you're signed. That's one of the origins. Yeah, I think it's the easiest origin to describe, so that's why I'm going with yeah. it. I feel like you don't have to kill your sire vampire, but the progenitor. Sure. So if you were done by the progenitor, cool, you have to only kill one. But if yeah. your sire has a sire who has a sire, you'd have to work your way up, depending on your DM, or kill the It's a vampire the hunting campaign? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Honestly, I, I like the paladin or the cleric. That's like looking for redemption through a god. Mm-hmm. To I, I'm living with this sin inside of me. I need to go rescue people and prove my worth to get into the appropriate plane in the afterlife. All right. I would have said just a straight death wish. Like yeah. they, they can't kill themselves, but they want to die and they want to take as many evils out as they can with them. So do you have any kind of uh, insights about role playing? I would do the common tropes of, like, vampires don't like sunlight. You don't necessarily get hurt by sunlight, but you're not going to be happy walking out into the sunlight from a dark room. Yeah, you're wearing I'd play into that more. Like, yeah, you'll pull your hood up and get under the shade a bit more. Mm-hmm. You're just going to be like me on a sunny summer day yes. where you're just like, 
Uh, long sleeve sunblock and find the shade. I'm not. I'm not dealing with this. Basically, shit. yeah. Actually, you want to know? Sorry, I'm gonna rewind. You want to know one of the traits this should have is the ability to like advantage on perception checks relying on smell. That involving like, blood. Yeah, I think sure. it would have like, to involve involving your food. A, a creature that has blood. So not a plant or a construct, but you know you'd be able to sense. Maybe I know, tracking I a bleeding character through yeah, the forest. Yeah, tracking a bleeding character, you Something know like their that. blood yeah. smell, but I don't... Like, I think walking into a town, all you would smell is blood. You couldn't pick Adam's blood out from Kyle's blood if you've never met Adam and no, Kyle. No, of course, but you'd be able so to... So I feel like, yeah, you have to know the smell if you're tracking someone with that blood, but if you know it, get advantage. Yeah, and I... So that's what... I, when it comes to role-playing, I would lean into the vampire traits that are not... They're not, they're not mechanics, but it's things like you'd be able to smell things. You'd be able to maybe taste the air a little bit. Um, whenever something bad happens, you kind of hiss. And you bring up your cape just a little bit and then <laughs> drop it again. And Fuck, sorry. Sorry, Jesus. That was... God. Don't look at me right now. I'm embarrassed. Start counting things? Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, wrong show. Wrong, wrong show. <laughs> Kyle, role-playing? Uh, role-playing, yeah, I like the idea of the sun sensitivity hanging aloof back especially if you're if your character doesn't want this or is ashamed about this right would, would like you that. be consistently looking for the invitation into the into the house oh maybe yeah like it's it's not like you can't go it's just you're gonna be uncomfortable until somebody invites you just makes your skin crawl a little bit to walk in uninvited yeah I think you would take more liberties, though. So if there's a welcome mat or a come in sign near it, yeah. that's enough for you. Yeah, when, when you like, yeah. when you show up at the city limits, they're like, oh, welcome all yeah. who, welcome oh, all who enter. Okay. You're able yeah. to enter the city. You can enter homes now because yeah. that, it said welcome. That's all you needed. Good, uh. good enough. Good enough for me because you're <laughs> not the bound yeah. by it. You think you are, but that's how you get past the thought I was bound by this rule. No, mm. it said welcome. I can enter anywhere. What uh, class or subclass? Uh, caster, I would say, or a rogue. Something that either is already heavily involved with the dark and sneaking, or something that can benefit from being able to hide a bit further away. The monster slayer. Yeah. Okay. For the ranger, right? Yeah, but then yeah. you're a ranger. Hey, uh, since Stashes came out, they've made it palatable. That's the issue. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that, look, I, I can see playing it now. And besides, all of the uh, all of the Xanathar's subclasses are yeah, they're, they're not. That was the yeah. first one. Mm-hmm. I, the first class I ever played was Xanathar subclass ranger. Yeah. Well, I, I played Gloomstalker as, as one of my first forays into fifth edition player, and uh, a Gloomstalker would be great for one of these guys. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah. All right. I would have said sorcerer. Not wizard. I don't like the idea of... Mm, yeah, um, I, I agree with that. Yeah, shadow magic sorcerer. For I think sure. would be a great one. That's what I would have said, but that's like my go-to class and subclass mm-hmm. for it. All so. right, all right. I think Aberrant Mind would be pretty good, too. And I would definitely take a bunch of charm spells, because it just feels... Yeah. It, feels like, it feels like it needs charm yeah, spells. Yeah, it needs charm spells. Or you could be a bard and paint your, paint your fingernails black and just sit there and sing really sad Sing emo pop punk all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> James, do you have a decent race that you would turn into a Dompier? Uh, free choice, Yanti would be fun. They got the fangs anyway. They already have yeah. the fangs, so it wouldn't be Look, that much. Look, for everything. Yeah. You love your, you love I love my Yanti, and I love my Shadow Sorcerer. <laughs> yeah, you. that's funny. I hadn't been thinking about them. That would be fun. I guess you could do Lizard Folk for the same kind of yeah. reason. Mm. I really want to see the Fall from Grace into this. The 
ASMR, the elf, like a high elf or an Aladdin. Yeah. Like, I'm into that. But I desperately, desperately want to see a fairy. A fairy vampire. Just a little fairy coming at you with a little, yeah. Yeah. little sharp teeth, like a little cat. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what I'm... And then spray it with a water bottle, like, back! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle? <laughs> spray bottle full of holy water? Yeah. <laughs> no, down! Uh, I would say any anthropomorphic race. Yeah. Like, uh, I think the idea of a vampire loxodon is hilarious. Uh, if you did the herringon, it's just a jackalope. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's bunicula. Yeah. Imagine getting stabbed with the elephant's fangs. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow, well, okay, so you didn't like Warforge for it. Do you like Warforge for, for this? No. No? I think it'd be so neat because, like, no one is going to see that coming. That's so weird. There's not going to be a lot of them. I just have issues with Warforged being humanoid, so... Is that that's your main That's, issue? like, my main hiccup on it. Uh, I you, like the idea of it feeding off dreams to become more human. Yeah, or the... Or the, or, or the it's a Warforged that consumes raw meat. That was one of the other options, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I just... I, I don't I think a Kalashar that consumes dreams, so they don't even know yeah. they're a vampire. They think it's just part of their existence. Yeah, that, that's that's fun. Okay, so what's one creative build then for you? The Kalashtar. The Kalashtar? Yeah, I think it would be cool. Kalashtar what? Kalashtar Barbarian. You're already in the mess. Yeah. You're now immune from psychic damage. Are immune to psychic? Yes, they are. Yikes, okay. Or resistant. Either way, yeah, they're either resistant. Way, yeah. But mm-hmm. either way, with a uh, battle tar, the, uh, the proper barbarian that you should only play ever. The bear totem. The bear totem, that's yeah. the one. You're <laughs> resistant to everything. The stereotypical. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it'd be fun to do that, and then you can get that extra hit points while you're in there in the battle, too. When you're already low, and you know you need to survive one more hit... Mm-hmm. So let's grab another four hit points, or up to ten technically, because it's a D four and a D six, or up to six Constitution. Um, I'm gonna pick a Drow, just because thematically they you're already spider themed. You get the sunlight sensitivity, yeah. although they're I think walking that back now. But I I'm gonna get the full vampire experience playing a Drow dump here. Uh, and I've already leaned into the edgelord shit by choosing a dump here anyway. I might as well just go full, full edgelord, edgelord yeah. and be a drow. Yeah, all right. For this, I'm going to go with a formerly, I guess, Leonin Oath of Glory Paladin. And then make it an Oathbreaker Paladin. And basically, this the story is it's going to be its redemption, right? Like, it, it really fed in to the whole vampire thing murdering just terrible person and then one day it just it comes across something that changes its mind and now it wants to get back become what it was again so it's a whole redemption arc sorry i i didn't i didn't say mine i went i was gonna go with oathbreaker paladin for the drow uh just because uh, drow men are subservient and the idea of adventuring and going out of the way and just being like no you know i'm not, not doing that shit anymore Fuck Lowell, fuck you, I'm out, here we go. Yeah. Right? Um, just, right. Paladin feels really good with the Dompier, doesn't it? There, yeah. There's a lot of good options. Conquest, Vengeance, even Devotion if you're going to play evil, right? Like, yeah. I'm devoted to to Big Papa Fang. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> any final thoughts before we wrap up this episode? It's an interesting way the game is headed. I don't mind it whatsoever, 
but it will be interesting to see once they flush every other race and class out this way. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about replacing your lineage halfway through. It's a neat mechanic. I I could use a couple of more in here so that it would be a more acceptable Not only edge lord options. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see some more so, uh, if you get blessed by angels, maybe you become angelic. But we already have the ASMR, right? Yeah. The ASMR could have been this. We could have filled in a slot with an ASMR or a tiefling, frankly, right? Because you're... I mean, hell, there's so many different ways to get powers from genies and dragons and, mm-hmm. and I mean, all the sorcerer origins and shit. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, I've said in the past, we're kind of stepping on toes of specific classes and races as we do more and more, we're getting more granular with the kind of shit we're doing. Like I said, the Reborn can kind of be already like the Undying Warlock or the, like, we're getting a lot of these kind of feels like. So I'm glad that we get another mechanic where it's like this interruption of your racial features and whatnot. I just want there to be more of them. Yeah, Mm. I agree, but I also think that, especially for a new kind of system being put in place... Having an angel one, you're not going to get the good play, good aligned general players to play an angel background like this. Yeah. But you will get the edgelords to play the newest edgelordy background out there. So the only way to get it tested out to the general community is let the edgelords play it, let everyone else be like, you know what, besides for them being edgy, it's not a bad system. And then next edition or 5.5 or whatever comes out, they're like, here's more options for everyone. Or hell, yeah. if we just get a book... That it focuses on the upper planes. Yeah. Add two two lineages in there. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I think we need fewer. Stop giving us all of these playable races. There's so fucking many of them. We have the 13 classes. We're not getting new ones. Yeah, there's another couple of subclasses here and there. But every book has two to four more of these races. And uh, it's becoming unwieldy at this point. We've even touched on Dragonmark shit. Yeah. Right? Like, there's so much out there. And they just need to make a system that lets, or has an easy conversion from Monster Table to PC. And then you can just get rid of jumping a new race every book. Just say, here's our breakdown, here's the math, do it yourself. Yep. And the problem is that 5th edition was is mass light. So they don't want to do that, right? Yeah. It, they want to make it easy for new players. And they did. And it's great that they did. It's bigger than ever. More people are playing than ever. But I do miss some of the crunchier. And when we get into these weird options, I I'm, I start to look at them kind of out of the corner of my eye. Kyle, any final thoughts? No, I think you guys pretty much covered my thoughts. Yeah, I like it. I, but I do wish there was more good options. Like... These are all not the bad. They're not they're bad, not. but it's like the edgy thing. Yeah. Where, so if you got good another option, evil, not good versus bad. Yeah. Right so like if you got, you know, someone from the Sealy Court for a Fey option, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you can go either. Mm-hmm. You're invested by the Fey Courts to as pursue much, this quest. As much as we already got shifters, why did we not get a where a lycanthrope version of you're 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 trying to hold back? the bestial rage inside you all of the time. Yeah. That totally could have been something that got put into this book, and it wasn't. Right? So, I'm with you. I also feel like there could be a, an evil god or a possession. They should have split the ghosts and the zombies and the Frankensteins, the flesh golems, out. Like, they could have really gone all in on this, and they decided to just give us these ones. And they're fine. Mm-hmm. I don't mind them. I still think the Hexblood's probably my favorite. Which one's your favorite? 
I kind of like the Dampire just because it gives you that climb speed and just a few of the other features. And I feel like, in my opinion, it gives you a bit more role, at least me, role playability. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think the Dampier, I just, I like its variability. Yeah, and it seems something easier to integrate into a campaign without being a negative to the party, even if the whole party knows. Yeah. You're able to hide your Dampier a lot better than you are the hag. And probably better than you could do the um, the reborn. reborn. Yeah, yeah I, and I, I gotta say the reborn gives me a lot of uh, inspiration as a DM. Yeah, as a player, not as much. It's another on that the reborn. It's another really good one for a player who's never played before, doesn't know how to make a backstory, doesn't know how to role play, and say, ask every question you need to. Your character knows nothing, and it gives them the opportunity to not feel ashamed. For asking, should I attack? Should I go through this door? Yeah. What can I do? Mm-hmm. Your character doesn't know. So ask any question you want comfortably. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's all for our discussion on Dompiers, Hexbloods, and Reborn characters. The next time we circle back to discussing playable races, we'll be looking into one of the most classic and beloved races of the entire game. Next week, though, we'll be returning to our conversation on fighters and some of the newer inspirations for the class. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of It's a Mimic Podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some sexy merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get the news of the podcast out there to the community. So please, pass word to everyone you know, even if they don't like Dungeons & Dragons. And to know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to another It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. So we've got the Dampier, or the Dompier, for the vampires. We've got Hexblood for Hags. We've got... Um, shifters for werewolves and we've got reborn for i don't know zombie frankenstein what are we missing what horror trope are we missing a lineage for Mm, creepy puppet Ooh, creepy puppet slime monsters i think we're getting a slime a gelatinous something coming pretty but it's currently missing it's currently whether it's there here or not yeah yeah it's currently missing yeah yeah i was uh i was gonna say like creature from the black lagoon like I mean, I guess you have a sea elf, but that doesn't uh, that doesn't count. I mean, lizard folk. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. you could, but nah. Like puppet? Would that just be a warforge? Yeah, yeah, pretty close, I guess. But you make it like warforge adjacent. Yeah, warforge are technically humanoids, right? Yeah, In fifth edition, so they're not constructs. I want it to be a construct. It, I would yeah. call it warforge adjacent. Like yeah. warforge went left and they went right down the evolutionary path. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking of more like a cursed kind of thing. Like you were regular people because these were all the lineages are right. Yeah, you get transformed some way, so you get turned into Pinocchio kind of thing i know your feelings on pinocchio Adam. i am not a fan <laughs> of pinocchio by any fucking who's like hey my fucking wooden child went missing i'd better look for him i sent him to school but where am i gonna go the middle of the goddamn ocean <laughs> fuck japan you know what logic yeah i'm done i'm 100% done percent logic <laughs> yeah uh i'm the one who edited the hag episodes and it's just them jerking off under the table
And on top of the table. Yeah. And beside the table, there's a lot. Of... <laughs> well, at one point, we got rid of the table altogether. Yeah, they had to call in a hazmat team to clean the room when they were done. Oh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, I'm not even denying, but keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost there. <laughs> Potatoes. <laughs> so they assume all gnomes and short races are. You could say that? <laughs> I have allowed you to blow up NPCs, James. Yeah, and you've also got other PCs mad at me for the actions my characters would have actually taken. Yeah. And you made me say the words, that's what my character would do, and that still upsets me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not apologizing. Not fair. Um, Be carrying a parasol everywhere. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Battle parasol. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's got a sword in the handle. Sword in the handle and sword on each of the tips. Yeah. Just spin it real quick yeah. and just gut someone. Is that from a Mortal Kombat? I think so. Yeah. 